All right, welcome back to the big program just after 9 o'clock in Edmonton, and the temperature is getting better and better and better. Uh, started off the morning at minus 11, looking at a high of minus 4, but uh, by Friday, plus 4. We just had Brent Sakon from the World's Longest Hockey Game Kids Edition that will be coming up at uh, Sakers Acres, uh, just kind of out by Ardrossan, east of Sherwood Park, so hopefully it's not too warm because it can get a little soupy out there with the sun coming down. Uh, let's welcome in our Tuesday co-host every Tuesday from 9 to 11, Grant Fuhr. Morning, Grant. How's it going? Oh, things are good. How about you? Oh, can't say enough. I really had a nice day. And you know Brent's sake for a long time. Uh, so the world's longest game, Kids Edition, um, starts this Thursday, and it goes for four days. It'll end uh, Sunday at 6. Uh, just what do you think? I mean, he's done this event for years. I know you followed it, and there's been times where there's been so many former Oilers that come out. It's pretty, pretty a big undertaking. I've been lucky enough to be a part of it five times. So, uh, just your thoughts on on putting on an event like like this, the magnitude of it, and you know, of course, all, all the funds go to for cancer research. So, yeah, no, Brent's done a phenomenal job of that, and I, I don't think people realize the work that it takes to put an event of that size on. And Brent goes out of his way to do it. And the fact that everybody seems to buy into it and they raise a ton of money is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. They're coming up on $8 million, Grant. Uh, over the years, I remember in 05 was the first game that I took part, so almost 20 years ago. And just the, f- the amount of people that come out, it's just it really warms your heart to have that support. And I'm sure, you you know, you've had many friends and, you know, with cancer and things like that. I mean, look at it, you know, we've got Andy Moog again now here. So I think when you look back at it, I'm sure you get, you know, it touches your heart to see something like this uh, moving forward. Yeah, most definitely. And Edmonton's been great for that. They do a phenomenal job of supporting causes. And Brent's done a great job of that and getting the community involved. And the people that come out and watch is pretty impressive as well. And you, they've played in some not very nice weather a few years. So I, the fact that they still do it and still battle on, I think is awesome. Yeah. You know, the one year grant we had was from minus 51 with wind chill and uh, guys still going out and going out. And, and it's funny how what Brent was saying about the kids, they don't, they don't even care. They, they, they be colder. The kids don't complain. It was all the, uh, the old guys, you know, bitching and complaining. So it's, it's a great event and we wish them all the very best uh, this weekend. Oilers on a serious roll now, Grant, every time, every Tuesday you come on, we just keep going. Okay. It's uh, eight wins in a row. It's nine, it's 10. Now it's at 13. Uh, just uh, your thoughts on a remarkable run right now for this team i think it's impressive i mean you look at where they were to start the season to where they are now the fact that they've put 13 wins together and they've played well doing it i think that's the other thing they've played some tight games they've played some games where they've had to battle into overtime but they still find ways to win and good teams do that and i think that's a sign of how good that hockey club really is Mm -hmm. what do you think about the fact that they're winning a lot of these it's 2-1, 3-1 games instead of like different uh, than it was before, a 5-4 or a 5-3. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you want to win the tight games. I mean, that's more of playoff hockey. The 5-1, 5-2 games, that's great to win, but at the same time, it's not really playoff hockey. So you're winning the 2-1s, the 3-2s. That's, that's good practice and good setup for the playoffs. Grant Fuhr with us on Sports 1440 every Tuesday from 9 to 11. Stu Skinner, what can you say about the way he's been playing? Uh, he just actually, uh, with your record, 10 straight wins from 85-86 that you set uh, a team record that long ago. He's got that matched right now. Uh, what can you say about how well that he's playing right now? 
I think he's been phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, people were down on him at the start of the year, but it's also your second year and it takes time to get your feet underneath you and such. And the fact that he didn't let that bother him, he stayed with it. And you see how good he really is. And that's an, that's a tribute to how good Stewart is as a person and the belief he has in himself. What do you remember about that streak that you were on back in 85, 86? Not a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised this lasted this long. Well, exactly. Everyone says that too. But no, it was a hell of a run. Um, but a different style, different era. I'm, I'm sure you had some 2-1 games in there as well. But, I mean. Double uh, R-Cast, probably not too many 2-1 games. Maybe some 7-5 games. Probably, yeah. Uh, no, it, we used to play a little run and gun and have some fun with it. And the fact that I didn't even realize that 10 was the number still. <laughs> Uh, what do you make of Stu's demeanor? And we're going to get him on one of these Tuesdays. We'll we'll see how it shakes out where you can kind of talk to him, uh, you know, in this forum. But his demeanor is, is it, I don't know, I want to compare it to other goalies or even yourself when you played, but what do you see uh, just his general emotions when he's trying to prepare, when he's playing, after games, things like that? Well, I think he's pretty calm and relaxed. And I like seeing that. I mean, you're the goalie of a good hockey club. You need to be calm and relaxed because the guys look at your body language. And I think Stewart does a great job of that, whether he's playing good or whether he's had a tough night, his body language has been great. And that shows the guys that you have confidence in yourself and they have confidence in you. Mm -hmm. Also go back to when the Oilers weren't playing well and we're losing. And you know, there were a few games, one in particular where Stu Skinner after the game said, well, this one was on me. What's that mean to the rest of the team when a goaltender does that? Well, I think it shows that you have a belief in yourself, first and foremost, but also the fact that those guys believe in you. And the fact that you'll take ownership of having a tough night says a lot. I mean, it's easy to point fingers, but as a goalie, you have that little red light that points out every mistake. So that's the fun of the job, and he realizes that, and is taking it upon himself to just, when he has a tough night, he's not afraid to own up to it. What about having a, a veteran like Cal Pickard here at the same time? Not, you know, he's only played a few games. I'm sure he'll play maybe Thursday, one of these games this week. Uh, what What's that add to a guy like Stu Skinner? Even though, like, I mean, Cal Pickard has been around a long time. He played 50 games that one season in Colorado, but it's not like he's like a, a Marc-Andre Fleury or something like that. Uh, what about that relationship that an older goaltender has to you know again and Stu's just in the second year after you know being up for the Calder last year well I think it helps settle you down a little bit it's nice to have a veteran around I mean I was lucky I get to play with Ronnie Lowe my first year and then Mogi my second year so it's nice to have an older guy around that you can talk to and relate with and back then we didn't have goalie coaches so you had to figure it out on your own so your partner was pretty much the only sounding board you had and it's nice that when you have a guy that's played a bunch of NHL games that you can bounce things off of. Kevin Carey show with co-host Grant Fear on Sports 1440, 9-10 in Edmonton. So Ronnie Lowe would have been your first guy that you did discuss kind of being able to bounce things off and maybe being a bit of a, a mentor. Who were some other goaltenders that kind of helped you along the, along the way again before you had the goaltending coaches come in? But you know what? I had great partners all along. I mean, I had Low Tide to start with. I had Andy Moog and to Billy Ranford. I got to Toronto. I had Rick Wamsley there. So he'd been around a little while. Buffalo, I had Dom. Mm-hmm. So I had my first goalie coach there, Mitch Korn. So I'm pretty fortunate to have great partners. 
So Mitch Korn was your first goaltending coach? Yeah. I mean, we had Eddie Chadwick around once in a while at Edmonton, but Mitch Korn was my first on-ice coach. Mm. And I'd already been in the league for oh, 12 years at that point. Wow. And and he went on to be, you know, very uh, a big part, a big reason why the Nashville Predators had such great goaltending, uh, you know, tandems and, and goaltenders back in the day. What was it uh, about Mitch that kind of uh, allowed that uh, opportunity for a relationship and for his expertise and for things that he saw in your game to kind of, you know, make sure it was firing on all cylinders? Oh, you know what? He understands the game. I think that's the biggest thing. And he understands the goalie's mentality. So it's fun to talk to him. I still talk to him once in a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's fun the way he sees the position and understands the position and understands what you're going through during the game. So if something doesn't feel right, he's able to pick it out watching. How does a goaltending coach, because you did it for many years as well, walk that line of uh, maybe not getting too much into a goaltender's head and, and letting him kind of work through things as opposed to making sure that you want to give your opinion, your perspective, and try to work them out of, th- out of things? Yeah, it's more a perspective than anything. You're kind of there as a sounding board, and when things aren't going well, you're there to deflect all the flack away from the goaltender and allow them to just play. Mm-hmm. So you can you harp on the good things. And you can just quietly point out the negative things, but you want them to believe in the good things and you remind them of all the good things so that they have a positive attitude going into every game. Mm-hmm. Did you have one in St. Louis too, Fierzy? Uh St. Louis, who do we have? The guy that popped in once in a while. I'm trying to think of his name. Like I, he, I, I, Mike Lute, for some reason, is ringing a bell. Was he ever around doing anything like that? Nope, Mike wasn't there. Okay. It was mostly mostly me. Okay, there you go. So, <laughs> And you had, uh, well, but it was also easy. Yeah. I played every night. Well, exactly. You didn't need a coach. You, you didn't have time to listen to a coach because you were playing every night. No, I get to spend most days with Bobby Kersey working on keeping the body running so I could play every mm-hmm. night. And you had uh, Jamie McLennan was one of the backups at the time in St. Louis. Who else? Yep. I had Jamie McLennan. I had Bruce Racine, uh, John Casey for a little while. So those are the backups I had in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Then uh, we're lucky enough to have Freddie Brathwaite. Uh, he's coming on at 10 o'clock. You had him and uh, you guys. Well, actually, Freddie had the bulk of the workload in Calgary. That's correct, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And my last year, I was the, kind of there to help the younger guys go through things and that sort of thing and try and get as many miles out of the body as I could at that point, which wasn't very many. <laughs> but at the same time, it was fun to hang out with Freddie. Uh, and Freddie and I were friends before that, so the fact that we got to play together was a lot of fun. And actually, Freddie and I just had dinner here the other night. Yeah, we were talking about that, and uh, Freddie was uh, addressing that situation when I was texting him. Uh, what was that kind of like to catch up? It was great. I mean, it's fun to catch up with Freddie. We try and catch up. I'll either pop down after the game when the Vegas comes in here, or Henderson, I guess it yeah. is now, yeah. when they pop in. So we try and keep in touch. So you had a couple games with the Coachella Valley Firebirds on the weekend, both uh, wins. Yeah, boys played really well. We played great against Calgary here and then went into Ontario, got off to a little bit of a sluggish start, but managed to control the last, oh, 50 minutes of the game and pulled out a 4-2 victory there as well. Hmm. Uh, Grant Fuhrer with us. does a color commentary with the Coachella Valley Firebirds. Uh, a couple of wins, as Grant said, over the weekend. Uh, is the revolving door still going on, Fierzy, between the Kraken and the Firebirds right now? Yeah, it's, it's settled down a little bit. John Hayden's up right now. Riker Evans is up right now. So those are two big pieces of our club that are missing. But 
at the same time, guys are stepping in and playing really well. I mean, Ian McKinnon jumped in in the game against Calgary and played phenomenal. So you got to have guys that can pop in and pop out of the lineup. And Nick Andrea jumped in. He played very well. So we've got some guys that have aren't playing every day, but when they do get in, have played very well. Just watching Riker Evans, Grant, he, every time I see him, he just seems to be improving and impressing. We mentioned that he's going to be, well, I don't know if he will be able to with the AHL All-Star game, but uh, what do you see in his game that even when you go back to last year, what, what you saw of him last year uh, to where he is right now? Uh, you know what? He's getting better and better. I mean, I thought he was really good last year, and he's been even better this year where he reads the game very well. He's smart offensively and he's getting better defensively and it shows in Seattle. I mean, he played great for us. And when he's up in Seattle, he looks right in place. So the fact that he's made that big of progress over the course of a year, I think is phenomenal and says a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to mix things up, Grant. We're going to do our in or out after this break. Then we'll come back. We've got some uh, open text and open line time with Grant Fear. Wanted to get your thoughts on Patrick Waugh going to the Islanders as a, a former goaltender and now head coach there. He's been obviously in the league before. And then on uh, Nick Dunlap. Uh, I don't know how much you watch of the PGA golf, but to see an amateur win at the PGA level, uh, you know, quite the accomplishment. We'll get to that in the uh, 940 hour. When we come back, are you in or are you out with Grant Fear? That's coming up right after the break on the Kevin Carey Show with our co-host Grant Fear on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Kevin Carey, in Edmonton, Grant Fear in Palm Desert, Sports 1440 for a Tuesday morning. Grant joins us every Tuesday from 9 to 11 as our co-host. And uh, time now for are you in or are you out? We had some great times. We're about to have some more. I know that look. I'm putting together a team. Then I'm in. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Are you in or are you out? On Sports 1440. I'm out. Well, Duke, you've come up with another stunning rendition here. Oh, of course. They're they're always as stunning as possible. And we'll start uh, with the hot topic of the week with the Edmonton Oilers uh, admit, amidst this winning streak. Uh, Corey Perry signing with the club officially yesterday. And uh, I was scratching my brain, trying <laughs> to think, and I cannot recall a single uh, player, a heel, an enemy, an opponent uh, more disliked that has uh, gone on to join the Oilers in the blue and orange. Uh, you know, I'm... Uh, I'll go first on this one, Grant, but unless you, if you've got a guy, because there's a lot of guys from the 80s that probably fit the bill. So I'm, you know what, if there's someone ringing your bell, I'll let you go first. If you want me to go first, I'll go first as well. Um, I think he's going to fit kind of in the, that Kenny Lindsman. Ah, <laughs> I didn't want to cut your grass. So that was it. <laughs> yeah. Kenny was one of those guys that was kind of a pain to play against, but you loved having him on your team. So he's the one that comes to mind, but yeah, Corey Perry's, going to fit that bill he's one of those guys that you hate playing against but you're going to love him on your own team yeah I, I i was the only guy that i could come up with was kenny linsman and just because he was an you know that kind of agitator uh kevin mcclellan and we talked about him yesterday different kind of cut from a different cloth because he was a lot tougher and and had the ability to really engage physically but was also you know in that that shift disturber mode but yeah kenny linsman is about the only guy that i could think of uh but cory perry might have him uh beaten in that department 
Yeah, they, that, they're two similar players. And they both like to be in the middle of everything. And the difference is Corey's probably a little bit tougher. But there's a reason they called Kenny the rat. I mean, he, he was a hard guy to play mm-hmm. against, but a fun guy to play with. What, what about Essa Tikkanen? Could he maybe fall into this category a bit, Fursey? Uh, Tiki could. There's no question. Tiki was a, a pain when you played with him and against him. <laughs> but at the same time, he was a lovable guy. Yeah. Yeah, like obviously the the infuriating to play against, but also, and maybe it is recency bias, but I mean like Corey Perry scoring the, the game-winning goal to, to uh, complete that comeback against the Oilers in 17. Like he is a guy that has drawn the absolute ire of, like specifically, not li- like, I mean, of course, league-wide, but like Oilers fans, hate this guy yeah. or did hate this guy. I mean, like some uh, some pretty good rivalry with the Ducks over a couple of years there, culminating in that playoff series. And now since then, the two franchises have gone in a little bit of uh, different directions. But uh, excited to see what Perry can bring to the Oilers lineup once he joins them, likely Saturday, his first game. Tonight's opponent, however, the Columbus Blue Jackets, they uh, currently 28th overall in the NHL. Their season got off to a bad start with the Mike Babcock fiasco. And... Uh, I don't know if it's really at the feet of Brad Larson necessarily. He kind of got thrust in that into that job. But barring a miraculous second half, the Columbus Blue Jackets will have a new general manager and head coach by the start of next fall's you season. Mean Pascal Vincent? Or are you talking about? Uh, yeah, sorry. sorry yeah, Pascal yeah, Vincent. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, I, I don't know on this one. I mean, it, Pascal Vincent just coming in for his first year and really having to clean up a total mess that was, you know, thrown out there by Mike Babcock at the start of the year. But... A lot of people have wondered why Yarmo Kekalainen has, has had his job this long. And again, with John Davidson kind of being, I guess, one rung up higher than the GM, to see exactly where this franchise has gone, they, they've had some key injuries. They've had Zach Wierenski out. They've had Patrick Liney out. But I, I don't see anything happening here where things are going to get any better until it's almost a total, total rebuild. So I'm kind of in on this. I, I think there's time for a total house cleaning in, in Columbus. We'll get maybe Jody Shelley's comments on that later. But I, I could see this happening at the end of this season after another disappointing year in Columbus. General manager-wise, yeah, I could definitely see a change of the guard there. Pascal Vincent, I think they might give him leeway for another year. I mean, it, he walked into a mess. And, the, the, yeah, they haven't played very good. They've struggled a little bit. But they may give him another year. They may not. I mean, but definitely a house cleaning, I think, is in order. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the like right now? Even Johnny Gaudreau having a tough season. He want you know he he picks his place, goes there. You know, even Calgary offered him more money. Is there? What do you make of the situation in Columbus, Grant, of, of a team that you know we were just talking about it? Sam Gagne a few years back there was part of a team that won sixteen games in a row, but this franchise just haven't hasn't been able to kind of maintain anything uh, close to consistency moving forward. What do you make of it? Uh, you know what? It's, the consistency's not there. You've got guys that don't want to be there. I mean, you've got a goalie that doesn't want to be there, so that doesn't help you any. Who yeah. struggled? It. You've got Johnny Goudreau who struggled. I mean, I, is it a bunch of guys that don't want the pressure of playing in a big market? Possibly. But at the same time, they should be better than they are, and they're not. So you've got to try and figure that out. And if it takes a full rebuild, then you've got to rebuild it. It'll be interesting to see what happens tonight and then moving forward in Columbus. Well, you know what's funny is Columbus, every now and then, will play really well. So it's some, it's a team that you can't sleep on, but at the same time, 
if Edmonton plays really well, it should be a four or five one game. Yeah. Moving on to the NBA, and there's uh, some stuff floating around about a possible Kyle Lowry trade right now. But the other couple headlines from last night's games, of course, uh, Joel Embiid putting up 70 points in the Sixers win over the Spurs, probably a little closer than they would have liked over an inferior opponent. But also, Minnesota, they lose to Charlotte despite Carl Anthony Towns putting up a franchise record. 62 points after the game. Head coach Chris Finch criticized Cat uh, for his what he called immature play. But I'm saying uh, that type of criticism in the NBA is about as unjustified as it comes because there is no other sport more driven by its superstars and individual play. Do you want to go uh, first on this one, Fierzy? I'll go with I'm in on that. I mean, <laughs> it, you get one one game's got one guy scoring 70 points, another game's got somebody scoring 62 points. That tells me that individual effort you're kind of going for that. I mean, yeah. that's the only way somebody gets 62 and 70. I mean, that's just the way it is. And the NBA's kind of gone to a no defense league. So I, is the criticism fair? Probably not. I think today in sports history, back in 2006, Kobe Bryant laid that 81 on the Raptors. Duke. Was that today? Today in 2006. It was a 122-104 Lakers victory over the Raptors. Second highest scoring game in NBA history behind only Wilt Chamberlain. So I, I guess my question is like why are these guys still in the game at that point? Are you just I mean, well, the I mean, the one game is still in question, I guess. The, the Sixers did not win by a lot. Uh, they won by about 11, yeah. 133, 123, I think. But the, the Timberwolves lost. Like, they had an 18-point lead at the half, yeah. I think it was. And, I, I, like, I, I did not watch this game. I'm just reading uh, some articles, posts, and checking box scores. Like, Towns went, his shooting percentage in the fourth quarter was terrible, I believe. And so it's kind of like, but at the same time, like, if he's the guy, he's already got 62 on the board. If you're chasing the game, that's whose hands... You yeah. want the ball in, right? Well, I'm on. I'm still. I'm under the uh, the the belief, the thought process of if you don't like the guy scoring against you, stop him. So, oh no, hundred percent, hundred percent. I don't know, Duke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, over to the NFL uh, reports that uh, the Tennessee Titans have found their new head coach in former Cincinnati Bengals offensive coordinator. Um, I, there's five head coaching vacancies left. I'm saying only one of them will be another coach with no previous experience as a head coach. It's a tough one. Another another difficult one. Um, I. I'm going to go. I'm out on this. I think everyone will be going with. Uh, you're saying so. A defensive coordinator will come up. I, I think. Yeah. I think of the five left, one of them will be a OC or DC that has not been a head coach before. So you're talking the Detroit Lions. One of the. I think OC. one of those two guys will probably get hired. I'm going to go. I'm in on this. I'm going to agree. Uh, if if Detroit can win one more game here and go to the Super Bowl, someone's snagging one of those OC or DCs in Detroit. So I'm going to. I'm agreeing. I'm going to go. I'm in. No, I can agree with you on that one too. I think somebody there, there could be two or three of the jobs that are going to be filled by guys that are offensive and defensive coordinators right now. Yeah, it's I find it tough because there's so many like unbelievable veteran guys. Like, has, when was the last time we had a, like you want to call it a free agent crop of head coaches this good? Uh, like Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll technically still with the Seattle organization, but I think if the offer came, he would take it elsewhere. Belichick looking like the Falcons, Harbaugh, of course. 
coming from Michigan, but has coached in the NFL before. Um, and even Mike, Mike Vrabel, who all of a sudden might be kind of looking like an odd man out here, possibly, um, with the, the, the Patriots going with um, Gerard Mayo instead. So, like... That's what I'm. I'm. I'm kind of on the fence about Grant. Is will it just be one or like? Because realistically, both Aaron Glenn and Ben Johnson could get hired. But I like. I think with this amount of good veteran guys out there, I think probably only one of them will. Or maybe they decide to not accept offers because they're happy um, in their roles with their current clubs. I think that's a possibility too. Hmm. Well said, Duke. <laughs> thanks Kev thanks Kev uh, last one for you guys uh, this day 1983 the A-Team premiered on NBC and uh, I'm saying if any network streaming service or otherwise were to reboot A-Team and give it a fresh start it would be wildly popular with both original fans and new ones uh, you know what it was popular back then so I could see it being popular again kids would probably enjoy watching it well you know, Grant, I was a big fan of the A-Team. I loved R.P. McMurphy. I just liked the fact that this guy was nuts. He was crazy, like basically out of a loony bin and was a big part of the, the A-Team. And Mr. T, you can't beat Mr. T. Um, I think I'm totally in on this. I love the movie when they, when they came out with the movie with Liam Neeson. I think if, but who are you going to get to play Mr. T? Or, that's the B.A. Baracus. Yeah. B.A. Baracus was the guy, right? Uh, there are a lot of good candidates out there, I think. But, and then what about the Colonel, whatever, what was his name? Colonel uh, uh, George Papard? Yeah, yeah, that's who's played in George that. Papard. You, I mean, there's some great guys out there. And it almost reminds me of almost like a Ocean's Eleven kind of cast here. A real uh, a real ensemble cast. Yeah, to I mean, you want to have these guys have fun. Every time those guys from Ocean's Eleven or 12, they just wanted to hang out together to make the movie. I think this is a similar situation. So we're, what, 40 years after the, well, 41 coming up, yeah. the debut here. I think, yeah, I think this would be a great, great move. Fierzy? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I yeah. think it'd be a great move. It'd be interesting to see who the cast would be in today's age, but at the same time, it would be a lot of fun to see again. Trying to think who else. So it was uh, R.P. McMurphy, B.A. Baracus, uh, the Colonel, Papard. Ooh, we're yeah. missing well, the Murdoch. Murdoch. Murdoch, that's Art Murdoch, is it? Murdoch's the, the, the main the, guy's the name. The crazy guy? Yeah, I think, right? Yeah, Murdoch. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Murdoch. I'm thinking R.P. McMurphy. I've switched. I've I've, <laughs> I've, 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 cr I've mixed up crazy people from movies and shows. <laughs> R.P. McMurphy's from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Well, there you go. That's about as crazy as it uh, as yeah. it gets, as the name implies. Yeah, I, like this this show, and I, I've seen some uh, old reruns of it, and of course the the movie for I think it was 2010 mm -hmm. when the movie came out. Uh, like it's kind of just that good blend of obviously action and uh, like in today's day and age, like the special effects and stuff you could uh, incorporate with it. I think it would, I think it would be yeah. wildly popular. And like, think about if you gave it like the HBO Avenue. So, you know, give it a little more uh, liberty with some of the language and, and um, uh, topics and things. Uh, I, I think, I think it could really take off and uh, get a whole new generation of people uh, in on the A team. Mad Dog Murdoch. Yeah. Uh, hey, Grant, what, so in the 80s when you're playing here, I mean, you don't have a lot of time and stuff and you guys traveling around, but way different, no streaming, no nothing like this. What uh, what other shows, like what were you guys watching back then? Oh, what did we watch? If all the had, Family? Yeah, oh, there you go, All the Family. <laughs> Love which, it. Which yeah. I don't think you could show in today's age, but. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the, the other one too, I, was, I saw an old rerun of uh, Sanford and Son. 
Well, that, another good one. Red yeah. Fox would have a tough time in today's day and age too. <laughs> There's a different time. Yeah, they had a thing with all in the family. With it was Car- what? Carol O'Connor was the guy and Meathead. Yep. And Glo- yep. Gloria. Yeah. But for you guys back then, Grant, I mean, you didn't have a whole lot of time. But so to watch, uh, you know, a show a sitcom probably once a week uh, probably filled your boots. Yeah. Well, for me, it was watching sports. Yeah. But again, I, a lot of the games weren't. They, you know, games weren't on no, all the I, time. You could watch a little bit of hockey here and there. You could watch a little bit of football, but the golf was always on. So you got a chance to watch that. Unfortunately, not 24-7 like you can now. Mm-hmm. Uh, text coming in, one 1440 You're missing uh, Dirk Benedict, I believe, from the rig. That's Face was the guy's name. Um, <laughs> yeah, B says, yeah, you're hilarious, KK. You were thinking of R.P. McMurphy from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Dwight Schultz played Mad Dog Murdoch on the E-team. Well. <laughs> See, still got fans. You're yeah. close. You're close. <laughs> Not even. I was only a movie uh, as opposed to a series in 10 years difference. Pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Kate McKinnon from SNL to play Mad Dog Murdoch. I don't know about that one. <laughs> I, I mean, hey, I guess get creative. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Steve from Drumheller says the, the characters were Face, Murdoch, Hannibal, and B.A. Baracus. They were all former Rangers, I believe, right? I think that was the, like, that was the, the plot line. Yeah, and they were the fa- falsely, yeah. Accused, falsely of, accused of something within, and then, yeah, they kind of... Go uh, go rogue and yeah. try and clear their names, and also you know other adventures and whatnot. Yeah, I like the beginning too because if you've got a pl- if you need someone, you need help, you contact the A team. The A team. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was good. Uh, good fun. When we come back, we'll have a little uh, open time. If you got a question for Grant Fuhr, send it our way one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. We'll uh, discuss a little amateur golf uh, well not amateur golf an amateur winning a pga championship and at the uh, a pga event pardon me and at the course where grant fuhrer once played in a I comp- played last week you played it last week wow there. i played the week, week before the tournament yeah wow well that's coming up right after the break on sports 1440 it's carries it's fear uh stay with us more to come all right, welcome back to the big program. 941 in Edmonton, Kevin Carries, uh, along with Grant Fuhrer with you on a Tuesday morning. Text coming in to one 1440 uh, Beerman said, because uh, we were discussing the fact that it was 1983 when the A-Team premiered on NBC. Beerman texted in and says, how come anybody with a problem could find the A-Team, but the U.S. government with unlimited resources could not? Uh, Steve it's from Drum. Yeah, that hasn't changed at all, eh? Fierzy? Yeah. Uh, Steve from Drumheller says the Rock would be a great BA. Ooh. Might not need anyone else beside the Rock on the A team. <laughs> That's a load right there. And you know, how about the Rock getting with the USFL, XFL merging, and uh, how? You know, I think when he kind of got that going. Have you ever met him at all? I have not. Yeah. I think when he got that, he, he used to be up here, Grant. I'm not sure if you knew. He came Calgary Stampeders, and, and Wally Buono yep. was here years ago, and Wally said, do, go do something else. <laughs> you know, you, you, you're dabbling in acting, and you, you, I think you could be a big star. And, and actually, I think The Rock has gone on record saying, if not for Wally Buono, who knows? He may, Maybe he keeps gutting it out on a practice roster for years and doesn't get the breaks that he did uh, in the in show business. Uh, well, Fierzy, did you watch a little of the golf on the weekend with uh, what was a, a huge story with Nick Dunlap? 
Or a lot of the golf. Yeah. You're that was welcome. actually, it was a good weekend to sit and watch golf. Yeah. So first amateur to win on the PGA Tour in 33 years. Uh, when he was, I guess, kind of, you know, in the mix, what were you thinking of a, a guy that's just 20 years old and uh, closing it out? Uh, you know what? It just shows you how fearless the young guys are. And the moment wasn't too big for him. He played solid golf. And his, what he shoot, 60 at La Quinta Country Club, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive. And then to follow it up and win, I think that says a lot. And it's hard to follow up a good number. And the way he played and followed it up, I think it was phenomenal and fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Because you've done both and played golf at a very high competitive level and obviously a Stanley Cup champion, Hall of Famer. What are the biggest differences when you are I guess, prepping, preparation, preparing, and uh, mindset, confidence, uh, visualization. Man, having a tough time here. But all those things, the difference between when you're on the golf course, lining up a putt, teeing off, as opposed to, you know, playing in the Stanley Cup final. Like the biggest difference is just the speed of the game. And obviously hockey's a lot faster, but your preparation for the two are the same. Uh, You're as a goalie, you're kind of out there by yourself sometimes. So that's pretty similar to golf because it's golf is an individual sport and you've got you and your caddy and that's all you have. So you don't have a whole lot of people to lean on once the round starts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've, they've ever, everybody's got a sports psychologist. Now you've got physical trainers. They've got an entourage they travel with, but once the round starts, it's you and your caddy in the golf course. You know, he, he had a great comment after the round saying, uh, everybody's got doubts. I probably had a thousand different scenarios in my head of how today was going to go, and it went nothing like I expected. I think that was the cool part about it. That's golf. That's that's a perfect uh, statement, perfect comment, perfect post-game interview to what happens on a golf course because no one knows what's going to happen. Yeah, it's a perfect analogy. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what bounces you're going to get. And every day on the golf course is different. And that's the fun of the game is you never, ever really master it. You can be on top of the world one week and the next week you miss the cut. So that's just, that's the fun of the game. First amateur to win in 33 years since Phil Mickelson did it. 91. 90, are, you, are you surprised it doesn't happen more often or is it just so hard to win? I, you know what? It's hard to win. I think that's the biggest thing. And you see how much talent there is on the tour. So... Yeah, it's is it surprising a little bit, but at the same time, there's so many good players that it doesn't surprise me. Hmm. Uh, text coming in, uh, this one from Otwell Okotoks Euler. How many aces has Grant had in his golf life? Plus, just a rough estimate, how many rounds he's played. <laughs> I, the whole ones are easy to count. I've got five of those. <laughs> oh boy. Um, how many rounds? Well, let's see. First year of COVID, I got about 250 in. So um, if I were to count all the rounds I played in my life, that'd be a lot. Yeah. It's it's too many to count. It'd probably be in the tens of thousands. Oh, that's just sweet. So this course at La Quinta, it used to be the Bob Hope Desert Classic. That's how, when did that it change? Was. I can't remember. When A long time ago? A long time ago, there was the Bob Hope. And they used to have the Pro-Am and the celebrity side. Mm-hmm. And then they changed to the Humana. And then it went from the Humana to something else for a year or two. And then American Express took it over. Mm-hmm. So how far is this? Like, And you've played this course how many times? Oh, I've probably played it 20 times. Cool. Um, 
And you were you ever in this in the Bob Hope tournament? I played the pro am. Okay, the pro am. Yep, I played with uh, Lucas Glover one year. Played with Rio Ishikawa, Brian Harmon. So it, yeah, it's been a lot of fun over the years. Uh, those pro ams. I mean, and I'm, to be honest with you, the, but those guys like when you're. When the pros are playing, a lot of times they're high execs, right? You would say that, or a big sponsor. Maybe it's someone with American Express. It's something like one of the pro-ams here. But when a guy like yourself comes in and plays, what's the reaction from the players that get to play with a guy that's in the Hockey Hall of Fame, five Stanley Cups, Canada Cups, things like that? We've had a lot of fun. I mean, that's the fun of it all is I, obviously, being a golf junkie, enjoy playing with them, watching how they manage the game, that sort of thing. And they want to pick your brain about how you think about different things in different scenarios. So it, it ends up benefiting both and having a lot of fun doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucas Glover had he, the last little bit, he sort of found his way again, but he was kind of having some problems with his swing and putting here in the last bit, right? Uh, putting. Putting. It all comes, for Lucas, it all comes down to putting. He is a phenomenal ball striker. And very rarely hits a bad shot, but it's the putting. The putter is the difference between him winning and him finishing thirty fifth. Kevin Carey's Grand Fury with you on a Tuesday, Sports fourteen forty. Um, I think he changed his putter and changed his everything. Did he go to uh, not the belly thing, but he went to a longer putter or something like that? Have you have you ever went had to, to broomstick? Broomstick, okay. Have went you to ever, the broomstick and? I don't know if it took the thinking out of it or just because it's a different setup, whatever it did, it turned his career around where last year he was phenomenal. Probably should have been on the Ryder cup. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you change putters a lot and, and, you know, grips, techniques, things like that? Yeah, I'm kind of a putter junkie. I've got my collection of putters, but I've had (laughs) the same one now going on almost two years. So it's a rare a rarity, but it likes me once in a while now. <laughs> do you do you ever get in that groove where you're, or I shouldn't say a groove, the other way around, the the lack of a groove where you're going, I might have to try something different? Uh, you know what, this putter, Benton already made me, I got a putter at the tour van a couple of years ago, and it's been good. I mean, I know it's the operator now. Before I used to blame the putter, now it's just the operator. So <laughs> part of that's getting older. Part of that is when I have good days with it, they're really good. So it. I know it's something in my setup when things are going bad. You know, it's uh, funny, Grant. We had, uh, are you in or are you out yesterday? And the Duke came up with a question. Just the fact that it was, you know, over 30 years since an amateur won on the PGA Tour uh, as far as Dunlap getting the job done on the weekend. Uh, But the question was, will it be 10 years? Will it be less than 10 years before another amateur wins a PGA event? Uh, What would your thoughts be on that? I think it'd be less than 10 years. Okay. I mean, there's, there's so many good amateurs right now. I mean, if you sit and watch the U S amateur, there's so many good players there. And then you watch the corn Ferry, then you watch the PGA tour. And the difference is maybe three putts over four days mm-hmm. between being an amateur and being on the PGA tour. So I, I could see an amateur winning in the next 10 years. Well, Dunlap and Tiger Woods are the only players to win both the U.S. Amateur and the U.S. Junior Amateur. So that that says a lot of where, I guess, the potential of this young golfer goes. He doesn't get the money. He doesn't get the FedEx uh, Cup points. But what he does, if he does stay at Alabama, he gets to golf 
in the Masters. He gets to golf U.S. Open, British Open as the U.S. amateur champion. So, I mean, even if he does turn pro and joins the, the PGA Tour, he still gets to go into the Masters and U.S. Open. So um, I'm sure he gets – I don't think money is going to be a problem for this young guy. How's that sound? Because he doesn't get the, the million and a half for first prize yeah. either. He'll make that up an endorsement somewhere along the way. Yeah. But, no, I – he still gets the two-year exemption. So if he plays as an amateur through the majors this year, or if he turns pro after the Masters, you still got a two-year window where he can go make a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Kevin Carries, Grant Fuhrer in Sports 1440. Um, what do you make, Grant, of where the PGA and the Live Tour are all kind of going head-to-head and, and, and trying to maybe get together, but then something happens and it doesn't look as smooth as it's supposed to be moving forward. Uh, what do you make of what's been going on here? Well, when you've got two different entities and both bad-mouthing each other, it's bad for the game of golf. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. Is you want, you'd like to see everybody kind of in sync where it's all positive. And unfortunately, with the two different entities, you're not getting a lot of positive out of it. You've got guys throwing mud at each other and that sort of thing, and that's just bad for the game of golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, text coming in, one 1440 from Rusty. What does Grant think of the broomstick putter? Uh, you know what? I've never tried it, so mm-hmm. I, I thought about trying it, but at the same time, I've got a little bit longer. I've got a 37-inch putter. So I've kind of got a little counterbalance version, but I'm not sure I could go to the broomstick. It would take a lot of practice and Mm -hmm. I don't practice that much anymore. Uh, Talking golf here for a couple more minutes. So I I think I've asked you this before in the last four or five months, what are your go-to clubs in the bag and and what are you playing and uh, what do you feel more comfortable uh, with in your hand? Um, Right now the driver, I've driven the ball pretty good the last year. So I may have lost a little bit of distance, but Green grass here means you're not going to get bit. So we've become a much better driver than I used to be. But other than that, my wedges are usually pretty good. That's kind of the bread and butter of the game now. How many wedges and what are your degrees that you you have in your bag? I've got four wedges. So I've got a 47-degree pitching wedge. I've got a 51-degree gap wedge, 56-degree sand wedge, and 61-degree lob wedge. Mm -hmm. So what would you hit a 56? Like, just say, I don't know if you're trying to max out or whatever. If you're at a yardage and you you go, I think I can get there for with my 56, how far are you out? Um, Max would be probably 100 yards. Okay. Comfortable somewhere between 90 and 100. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and that, are you playing a lot of different loft shots or you just, do you have a, a similar kind of trajectory for pretty well everything you're doing with your wedges or just depends on circumstance? Circumstance. I've got different flights for different wedges and playing with the tour guys, you, they kind of teach you, you don't hit a wedge hundred percent ever. Mm-hmm. You want to make a nice three quarter, maybe just over three quarter swing, but you never want to hit your wedge hundred percent. Wow. Uh, well, we're going to have your old buddy Freddie Brathwaite on at 10 o'clock uh, and then Jody Shelley at 1020. Did you, have you ever golfed with Freddie? Does he golf a lot? I've not golfed with him, but he's playing golf. So I'm hoping he's going to come over to my tournament in May. Yeah. How are things going with that? Everything going smoothly? Yeah, things are good. I think we've got, what do we got? I think we invited 40 some celebrities. Yeah. So we'll probably be over in the celebrity section, which is not a problem. And I think we've got a wait list of about 20. Wow. Well, and that goes all to the Grand Fear Foundation. And, and what are the causes that, that you're raising money for again? 
Uh, last couple of years, we've donated all the money to the children's program at the Betty Ford Center. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do that again this year, see how much we can raise, and it'll all go to the children's program over there. And you get a lot of traffic from Red Deer, Edmonton, Alberta, right? Yeah, we've had, last year we had four groups come out of BC. Mm-hmm. We had a couple of groups out of Red Deer. We had a couple of groups come up out of Calgary, group from Vancouver. So we get a lot of Canadian support. Well, it's a great cause and, and kudos for you and, and Lisa. I know Lisa does a lot of the legwork with, uh, you know. Well, she's actually the brains of the operation. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. So uh, when we come back, it'll be uh, Freddie Brathwaite with Grant Fuhr on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. Before all that, here is a Sports 1440 update with the Duke.